Hi, welcome to the Brilliant Resilient Club, the podcast all about people who push past their physical comfort zone to gain mental resilience. I'm your host, Bhavani Vadi, and I just want to be clear, this podcast is not just about sporting overachievers, because believe you me, I'm not one of them. In fact, I've hated exercise all my life, probably because I was scarred by PE lessons. I could never make it over the lowest bar in high jump, was the one way at the back in cross country and had such bad nightmares about school swimming lessons that I would regularly sit them out. But I was grounded from my job as a TV reporter during the pandemic because of an autoimmune condition and I took up cold water swimming. This made me want to explore why and how other people take to the physical to cope. I struggled with my mental health before I went off around the world. It all affected me the same way as it had seven years before, before I went around the world. And I guess I looked for another escape. I've always had these strong legs to overcome this troubled mind. And so the next escape, there was this world record for for cycling across Europe. But the journey that I went on to get to that world record was huge personal transformation. My guest in this episode of the Brilliant Resilient Club has pushed the limits of human endurance and had some amazing adventures while doing so. Lee Timmis cycled into the record books when he became the fastest person to ride across Europe in 2018. He did it in 16 days, 10 hours and 45 minutes, breaking the previous world record by just a little over eight days. His journey took him from the west coast of Portugal to the edge of Siberia. And this achievement came after Lee cycled around the world on his own, taking seven years to travel 44,000 miles through 51 countries, all while living on five pounds a day. Lee says this all changed his life and his values. And having suffered from depression in his mid-twenties, he's also now an ambassador for the MQ Transforming Mental Health Charity. Lee, welcome to the Brilliant Resilient Club podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Now, you've definitely pushed yourself physically and mentally with your endurance cycling adventures um, over the years. I'm looking forward to chatting to you about that. But first, I'd like to find out what do you think it is to be resilient? For me, I guess resilience is um, is that ability to get back up again when you've been knocked down. And it's that time when um, when you're close to, you want to snap but you don't, you hold it back and you hold yourself together. It's that time that you want to quit, you want to give up, but you don't, you carry on. Yeah, I think that's a really good description. And you've had some madcap adventures when you would have drawn on all of your resilience to keep going. Uh, one of them was cycling around the world, wasn't it? Yeah, so um, in 2010, I left on this epic adventure to cycle around the world. It was supposed to take two to three years. This was my idea. Um, ended up taking seven. There's a lot of reasons why that might have happened. My friends like to think that I just went out for a a bottle of milk, ended up getting lost, got around the world, came back seven years later. Um, but actually, I think the truth of it is that I really kind of found something out there. Um, the journey was very much kind of a pursuit of happiness in the end. And yes, there's a lot of adversity to overcome when you're you're crossing these huge expanses of na- like nature's wilderness. Um, but there was also times with incredible um, encounters with people, like these incredibly intimate connections with the people of the world that I would meet because the bike's so vulnerable and it just invites you into the lives of people that you've never met before. And you end up at weddings and funerals and parties or, or driving a taxi around Uzbekistan for a day, like bizarre things that you would never have, uh, have never have thought of. And maybe that's why the journey did extend to such a long time, you know. 
Now, this is probably an impossible question, but what would you say was the highlight of your journey? Um, okay, maybe that's too hard to narrow down, but yeah, what would you say were a couple of highlights of cycling around the world? <laughs> um, maybe, you know, uh, they, they call it type two fun, don't they? The times that it's absolutely awful when you're out there, but you get to the end of something and you realise how amazing what it is you've gone through. So maybe... You know, there were great days when you're just meeting people and you're having a brilliant time, you know, traveling on so little money. I didn't go to the incredible, like the iconic um, locations that you would visit. I went to France, but I didn't go to the Eiffel Tower. I went to India, but I didn't see the Taj Mahal. I traveled through normal people's lives. And those encounters were incredible to just, you know, be invited into a mud hut and on the Silk Road somewhere. And just people wanted to share the the most amazing things that they had, even if it seemed so small and it was insignificant in the life that we live, they were lovely moments. They were so good. But I think that the times that, if I if it was to give you a highlight, it would be things like after crossing Tibet and you've gone through weeks of just arduous cycling, very difficult at such high altitude with thin air, little oxygen, it's freezing cold, you're sleeping in a tent at minus 40 degrees on the rooftop of the world, you feel like you're on the edge of the the atmosphere. Every day is super hard work, it's so difficult. And then you descend on the other side into the warmth and the air caresses your skin, you smell shampoos and foods that you haven't smelled in almost a month. An insect landed on my arm and it was like, this is incredible, I've not seen an insect for so long and just see plants and colours and then and prayer flags and monkeys and incense and the world is this sensory explosion and to realize that you've ridden a bike all the way from from industrial England to this world of like exotic colors and smells they would be amazing amazing moments but I think it's it's only because you've gone through such hardship and you come out the other side and realize how wonderful that experience is. That sounds really fascinating but you just got me thinking how did you manage the language barrier you may have had um, a language or two under your belt but surely not all the ones of the countries you visited how did you communicate with people yeah yeah i didn't have anything actually <laughs> it was you know what i created a great plan i had a route of uh, where i'd like to go around the world the the kind of visas that i'd have to get all of those logistical things i'd kind of got a plan for it um and then i got on the ferry from Dover to Calais and I went to the bar and ordered a beer and the bartender served me in French and it suddenly hit me that of all the things I planned for I'd not thought at all about languages I was like oh I don't speak French how am I going to survive and then my brain went into overload you know as you do I don't speak Spanish I don't speak Italian what, what language do they even speak in the middle of like Mongolia oh, how am I going to do this um and it was yeah that was an anxious moment but this only struck you after you started your journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With all the greatest intentions, the greatest planning. Yeah, the simplest thing was overlooked. Um, Love it. So, yeah, I got off the ferry. And for a few days, I lived just on uh, what I had in my bags, a packet of jammy dodgers, a Battenberg cake, <laughs> some instant pasta. But eventually, you have to buy some food. You've got to find somewhere to sleep. And... Um, I ended up just using simple gestures. You know, if you imagine holding a, a cup up to your mouth for a drink or eating with a knife and fork, which is strange as well, because a lot of countries don't use a knife and fork. So that's different. They don't, um, no. I ended up being very childlike, just gesturing things. And I think that people, after a while, they realised that this guy is 
actually trying like he's trying to get by here he's he's doing something amazing he's living his dream actually i've got my way to help him um and in a lot of ways i'd say that in a lot of ways in my life being vulnerable opening up has been a massive step forward it's really helped and you didn't stop there you then set a new world record cycling across europe yeah that's right so oh, it's a weird one isn't it you come back from riding around the world and um it was just a it was a moment when i'd achieved more than I ever thought I could in my life. Even when I set off to go around the world, I didn't expect to come back one day. It's just, you know, wow. Um, and what do you do when you've achieved more than you ever thought you could do? Um, it was a difficult time, as well as the fact that I guess, I think there's a lot of escapism in travel. Uh, I think that, you know, while I was going around the world, people would ask what I was escaping from, what was I doing, when was I going to settle down? And I'd say, no, no, it's not like that. But I came back and I guess that's the point when I realized that I was running away from things. Um, I struggled with my mental health before I went off around the world, um, depression and anxiety. And, and I didn't for the whole time that I cycled around the world, that pursuit of happiness was wonderful. Um, but I came back and I realized that everywhere I, everywhere I go, I take myself and confronted with those same um, pressures again, the responsibilities, um, financial pressures, relationships. It all affected me the same way as it had seven years before, before I went around the world and I was anxious and overwhelmed and, and struggled again. Um, and I guess I looked for another escape. I've always had these strong legs to overcome this troubled mind. And so the next escape kind of came to me from a magazine a few weeks or a few months after I arrived back. There was this world record for the cycling across Europe and I was I was certain that I could do it right there and then. In fact, I wanted to fly out and do it immediately. I was, I'd say that I was very lucky to have a mentor at that time who said, actually, what's the best way that you can do it? You know, if you do it alone now, is that achieving your best? Or would it be better to look at it with a team, with the training, with scientific approach, innovate some new strategies? And so it ended up dominating a year of my life. But the journey that I went on to get to that world record was huge personal transformation. So what did change for you? I went from being um, somebody who'd lived in a tent for seven years to being a, uh, a world record breaker who led a team of scientists and logistical experts through an, a completely new approach to endurance cycling. We innovated new techniques, we brought science and technology to the project and then we broke the world record by 10 days. And I think the key to my own personal transformation through that was completely different to what I expected. You know, in the beginning, I still thought that it was going to be about strong legs, strong heart, strong lungs. That's what's going to get you through this. But before the team was even complete, the physiologist said a line to me that really was the crux of the whole project. He, um, he told me that you could be the fastest cyclist in the world when you're standing on the start line, but it doesn't matter unless you've got a mind that's strong enough to get you to the finish line. And that was the transformation for me, realizing that I came into this project thinking, I've got a mind that got me around the world. Why would I need to improve? That was this old fixed mindset. And I actually needed a growth mindset. I needed to be able to adapt to new situations. I needed to be able to prepare for what lied ahead, where, where I thought that preparing and being on time was against this way of living free and being flexible and, you know, 
go with the flow dude um i was actually limiting myself and i needed to uh to find some good habits and good routines to put in place so that's really interesting what that psychologist said to you that you could be the fastest at the start line but you need your mind to get you to the finish line mm-hmm. um how do you think pushing yourself physically like that has helped you in other areas of your life in some ways building the mental strength in the first place before we went out to do the world record that was huge and then imagine the human mind is like an onion and there's these layers of resilience and determination and motivations and through preparation we built them all up you know looking at what's your why what's your motivation um building in healthy habits through the day um so we would look at structuring my time you know there was this whole um a whole phase of training in psychology that we went through which was just called being the best at the skills that require no talent. Um so you put your 10,000 hours into being a great cyclist or whatever it is that you want to do. That's what they say you need to build up to be a master at something. But surely there's thousands, millions of people who have done that in the world. What makes the best in the world? What makes the record breaker? And a lot of it is just building a lifestyle around that which gives you the opportunity to make the most of your talent. So being on time for things, you know, my my calendar was all over the place. Putting travel time, my room was a shambles, it was a mess, my desktop on my computer, it, it took me twice as long to find any documents that I needed than than actually use them for. So creating just creating a strategy that worked for that we divided my life down into zones as well so there's a sleeping zone there's a working zone there's a relaxing social zone and when you're in each one of those zones um you're 100% focused on achieving what that zone's for so in the sleeping zone i mean sleep was a massive one anyway i remember the psychologist telling me that sleep is the most powerful performance enhancing drug in the world and it's the least used and i completely see it i kicked off about like having to have these bedtimes and relaxing times because i had so much to do and like a toddler yeah oh i was so toddler <laughs> honestly <laughs> And you know it's interesting you can I tell the same stories in schools now and I'm going in I'm going you know when your mum tells you to go to bed you should do it cuz it will make you a record breaker and now I get it but maybe as an adult as well you're thinking I've got so much work to do why could I why yeah. would I sleep but actually when you sleep you your brain recovers you get smarter your body gets stronger so the onion's built all these layers are around it and then through the the 16 days of the world record cycling 250 miles a day across the continent you're exhausted physically and mentally and those layers start coming apart one of the key targets for us through the world record one of the key motivators was you know when everything goes wrong when everything's falling apart around you how do you react how do you define yourself that really was the thing that drove me and um there was a day i realized that one of the biggest problems i had created for myself in my whole life is my expectations of myself um even though we'd set a realistic target for, on the world record with the team we said we'd finish between 16 days and 20 that would be our worst case scenario um in the back of my mind i set a target to to be even that i was saying that oh you know quietly to myself i was going to do this in 14 days i'll be the first man to cycle across the continent in 2 weeks amazing how great would that be imagine the headlines and then on day 13 we got into russia and I realized that I still had 25% of this project still to go. I I was in country 10 out of 10 in my mind I was mixed up and that was actually 10% to go but it was huge. And I got out of the motorhome that morning and said I only said one thing to the team I just said um never going to achieve anything that impresses me. 
got on the bike and went. Um, and sitting on a bike alone for 16 hours a day, a lot of stuff goes through your mind. You have a lot of time to ruminate over things that are said or, and that line stuck with me throughout the morning um, until I had stopped the van, the team behind me, asked them to get out the motor home. And I just stood them at the side of the road and said, you know, that, that line that I said that I'll never do anything that impresses me, that's not about this world record. It's not about um, what we're doing here. This is life, it's something bigger. Um, and I, you know, I'm sorry for the way that this morning was. I, I don't want to be this athletic robot anymore. I don't want to be analyzed all the time. I just want to be a human. I just want to be loved. And that kind of, it was understood in that moment and we had a hug and I got back on the bike and we did still have to analyze everything. We had to keep on going. But when we got to the end of the project and we debriefed and we went through all of that, and I realized that through my whole life, I've been doing the same thing. You know, I got a first class degree, but that wasn't enough. And then I cycled around the world and it wasn't enough. And I went out to break a world record and it still wasn't enough. And who isn't it enough for? I think it was the question that it came down to. And I realized that I've been trying to find this value in myself where I would feel I was good enough to be loved, but it didn't come down to an achievement. It came down to the journey. It comes down to the real basic things of who we define ourselves as, you know, the morals that we live by, the values that we have, the way that we treat each other. And that that was a huge lesson that came out of the world record. And you don't have to be an elite athlete or endurance cyclist um, for all of what you've just been saying just now to be re relevant, actually. it's you, you can apply those standards to yourself in other bits of your life, you know. Before I left to go around the world, I struggled with depression and anxiety, like I said before. And um, and I think it was a very similar lesson then. I think that I broke down in a similar way when I was overwhelmed by work um, before uh, before traveling. Um, I'd say maybe again, it was overwhelming myself with too much pressure, too much stress, this time psychologically in work rather than physically on the bike. Um, but I would say that, yeah, that lesson I first learned when I was um, overworking myself realizing that I struggled with uh, with that anxiety in that way and I would say the same things came out when I put my body under pressure on the world record. Do you think that pushing yourself physically has helped you be resilient or be strong and determined in other aspects of your life uh, other non-sporting aspects? Yeah yeah the the lessons that I took from the world record have certainly helped. Um, I guess that in the pursuit of becoming my best, I had to learn a lot of things, firstly, about myself. When I was younger, in my mid-20s, I went to counselling for the mental health problems that I was having. And I kind of expected the solutions to come like a silver bullet. You explain your problems, and one day the counsellor's going to say, oh, well, you know what, this is the problem, and we'll just sort it out with this. Off you go, everything's great. Actually, it's a a really long and difficult journey. I think you have to look into aspects of yourself that are uncomfortable. It's those dark corners that you've hidden away because you don't like them, because they cause you pain, because there's difficulty with them. Um, and so through that counselling, I ended up with the escape. I went travelling, I cycled around the world. When we came to do the world record with the team of scientists, there was no stone left unturned. And achieving your best isn't about finding what you're good at and making it better. It's about finding the things that are holding you back and working on them, working your way through them. And so I had to go through those difficult things that I'd hidden all over again. 
there are a lot of things that you can do in your life to make make yourself better. Um, those simple things that I mentioned earlier, building uh, the the lifestyle of the elite athlete, the skills that require no talent, they were huge, just adding structure to my life. Um, other habits, so self-awareness was massive. Understanding what you're feeling um, before it becomes a reaction. And then with that awareness, you put in some interventions and you try to understand what it is that you're working for, what it is that you actually want out of the world. So bringing those skills out of the world record have definitely helped. Going back to cycling, I think is really important as well, though, having a physical element to your lifestyle, staying fit, staying healthy. And it's not even about the bike ride. It's about that conversation when you're side by side with somebody talking through your problems, sharing theirs, seeing a new place, exercising out in the sun. I think it's really important to keep that as well. I think physical and mental um, strength go hand in hand. I mean, that brings us quite neatly onto my next and final question. What's your next project then? Do you have another, uh, do you have another big challenge or um, something a little bit more low key? Yeah, I do. You know, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? I got to the end of the world and I was asked, well, what's next? And I got to the end of the world record <laughs> and I was asked, well, what's next? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that is the conundrum. You know, even if you find all the answers, it's not the end. So what is what what is next? Um, what's next? What's next? So, um, yeah, I've realised a lot about myself and I've realised that there's something to teach other people in what I do as well. And just as this podcast has been, yeah, it's about my pursuits through physical endurance to build a stronger mind. Um, I feel like my pursuits can also help other people to further their own um, goals, careers, whatever it is that they're looking to do. So mm. I like the idea of doing a similar world record um, all about the strategy, about the build-up towards it, um, not really looking at the body, but looking at the mind, you know, in ways that would benefit mm. anyone. So when you get off a bike, on the on the world record that I've done, when I got off the bike on day 15, day 16, and the team were around me going, this is amazing, Lee, you're only a few hundred miles from the end, you've done incredibly. And I was there going, you don't know what it's like for me. I've got so <laughs> little power left. Everything hurts. I can't, I can't even think about that. And the team are there going, no, imagine the sauna at the end and I'm going, there's no sauna, don't lie to me. <laughs> Stop the sauna. <laughs> yeah. What would it be, what does it take to get off that bike after 16 hours and go, you know what, guys, that was amazing. Look how close we are to the finish. Look at what we've achieved. Like, But what puts you in that mind, that positive mind? We did so much work on it, positive mindsets, uh, growth mindset, neuroplasticity, motivations, routines, habits, I would love to almost create a blueprint. I'm really interested in the psychology of it because I really was holding myself back. And I, I think there are more days that I could have taken out that record. You know, there were times mm. out there when I was my own worst nightmare, your own, this negative monologue that can be going through your mind. And I'm sure that we've all experienced it. When you're going through hardship, mm. when, you, when you stop your metaphoric bike journey, and everyone around just going, what you did there was amazing. But all you've considered is that pain. Mm. Actually, when you step back mm. and it's a bigger picture, you realise what you've done. And I'd love to take... All the bits that you didn't do quite right. Aren't they? Aren't they the things that you remember? Perfectionism. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. or framing situations. So, and the way you frame a situation, I'm, I'm super guilty of it, can change, can change everything. You know, maybe a lot of the world isn't um, 
it isn't what it is, it's what you make of it. Ollie, it's been great fun chatting to you. Oh, thanks very much. But I'm going to come down to London. We will go on our bikes. You will realise that it's life changing. <laughs> I haven't got a bike yet. I've, I'm getting one for my birthday. And my only request is that it's got a basket on it. <laughs> so that shows how sporty <laughs> I am. Uh, but yeah, I'll take you off on the offer. No, you can you can enlighten me into just riding around with a with a basket. I would love that. You know, let's take away those challenges from Lee. Let's give a challenge to Bhavani. Yes, we'll meet in the middle. Okay, you're on. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Good luck in all of your future adventures, and you've been an amazing guest. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I got a real lift from hearing about Lee's stories of survival and self-motivation and I hope you did too. A big thanks to him and of course a big thanks to you for listening to this episode of the Brilliant Resilient Club podcast. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and review the show to help others find it. Bye for now.